Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Another winter is approaching, and COVID cases are on the rise in Connecticut, again. Hospitalizations have increased, and the state positivity rate stands at close to 6%. Should Governor Lamont bring back certain COVID safety rules? And what's the latest on the Omicron variant locally? Today, where we live, Governor Lamont joins us for the hour. And here's the number to call to ask the governor your question. 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. You can share a comment or question on Facebook. And as always, find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Governor Ned Lamont joins us on Zoom. Welcome back to the show. Hey, good morning, Lucy and Katie and Tess. Thanks for all your help. (laughs) Katie and Tess are my producers, a great team that I have here at Connecticut Public. It's been a few months since you've been on, uh, Governor Lamont. And so let's talk about COVID uh, with Omicron detected in Connecticut over the weekend. I mentioned the positivity rate is above 5% again. Residents are wondering, does that mean certain restrictions should come back? What's your take? Uh, Look, I'm worried about Omicron, uh, but I'm scared about um, Delta. Uh, You've seen over the last few weeks, the infection rate go up today or yesterday. We just got the numbers 8.33%. That's a big increase from where we were just a month ago. So it is um, ramping up. And uh, Lucy, I've often said I'm I'm less concerned about the infection rate, more concerned about hospitalizations. And and thank goodness, um, vaccinations and boosters are keeping um, the overwhelming majority of people out of the hospital. And the overwhelming majority of people in the hospital are um, unvaccinated. But it is ramping up. We have uh, over 500 folks in the hospitals now. So that's um, triple where we were a few weeks ago, one quarter of where we were um, a year ago or a year and a half ago, but it still is reason to be cautious. Given what you just shared about hospitalizations, why not bring back a mandatory indoor mask policy? This is something that the CDC even recommends. Exactly. As you said it right, the CDC recommends it. Um, What I found, Lucy, is that For every mandate, there's enormous pushback as well, and you create some issues. And uh, I I do believe that um, fear is a great incentive. So we have more people getting boosted today than we had uh, uh, two weeks ago. Without a mandate, they're getting doing the right thing. I think you're going to find, Lucy, more and more people are being smart and wearing the uh, mask indoors. Obviously, it's mandated if you're unvaccinated. Uh, And uh, I think more and more people are doing it voluntarily. So I'd like to think this is going to work. So you're putting that in the individual's hands to do the right thing, as you mentioned. You also talk about hospitalizations being something that's, uh, that you're concerned with when you look at um, how we've progressed over the last uh, 20 or so months. There was a presser just Monday where the CEO of Griffin Hospital said currently 91 percent of the hospital beds in New Haven County are full. So when you hear that, Governor, you know, should more be done from the state government perspective, again, when we think about capacity? Yeah, well, 
remember, Lucy, um, they're, they're filling up. They're not filling up with necessarily with COVID patients. So the vast majority have other reasons they're there and you want them to be there to take care. Um, obviously, some of the elective surgeries in year past, they, they postponed to make sure we always had capacity um, for anybody who's got serious affliction with COVID. Look, we're 95% of our folks, um, I think it's 12 and above, have had at least one shot. Um, and I think if more people get the booster. Folks my age, um, you know, vast majority have gotten the booster. Younger folks, a little less so. And now's the time to step up. I want to keep you out of the hospital. Again, you can ask your question of Governor Lamont, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Before I take some calls, I mentioned Omicron over the weekend, one confirmed case. Uh, any updates, any more cases of Omicron that have been detected in our state, Governor? No, Lucy, um, but we are um, doing a lot of genetic sequencing. We're doing more than most every other state. I want to make sure if this is um, as highly infectious as we worry it is, we know where it is, and um, and we can be really careful about that. But so far, thank God, it's just that one case. 888-720-9677. If you'd like to ask Governor Ned Lamont your question here on where we live, Matt's calling in from Madison. Matt, go ahead. Yeah, hey, thanks. And thanks, Governor. And thanks for everything you do. Um, question for you. Given the fact that vaccinations clearly work and they clearly mitigate it against the worst effects of the disease, can you kind of, is to the best that you can, guarantee us that vaccinated folks can live their lives in terms of high school sports, living normally, and having spectators at these games over the winter? The last couple of years have been tough, but we were vaccinated and they clearly work. Can you talk to that? Uh, yeah, Matt. Um, first of all, it's tough to make guarantees with uh, COVID. Um, all the facts you thought were sort of settled law uh, can change in a month. You know, that said, um, if your teams are vaccinated, um, you know, I really believe uh, sports can continue. Um, I Doing every, I'm going to make sure that our schools stay open. I, I made sure they stayed open, not just uh, this September, but last September as well. But I am looking around. I see that um, UConn just, I, I believe Max told me, uh, canceled their hockey tournament this weekend uh, just for fear that there could be a spread there. So um, I'm going to do everything I can to keep everything open and do everything I can to encourage people. If you get the booster, we're going to get through this. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. Uh, you mentioned that Connecticut has uh, high COVID vaccine rates uh, compared to, to many places in our country, but there are still portions of our state where there's vaccine hesitancy. So talk to us about what you're doing to get the word out, to connect people, to help people resolve their concerns about getting that first shot, Governor. Uh well, I mean, as I said before, you know, 95% of, uh, you know, the eligible have gotten uh, at least their first shot. And the overwhelming majority of them have had uh, two shots. And given uh, uh, Omicron, more and more are getting the booster shot. So um, when it comes to hesitancy, I think uh, fear is a heck of a motivator. And I think that's running across all demographics as people realize now is not the time to play games. Now is the time to... Um, get the vaccine or get the booster. And, uh, but as you know, rather than having folks like me repeated over and over again, or Manisha or Deirdre repeated over and over, there's nothing like a trusted friend. If you have a friend out there who's been hesitant, uh, remind them why you think it's important. 
I can tell you when it came to parents, they were very hesitant about five through 11. And I, I'm going to wait. And you sort of internally, you sort of understand there, that. But uh, I think you're finding even in that age group, the number of people getting vaccinated is going up a lot. You know why? Because one parent is telling another parent, it worked for my kid, it'll work for yours as well. Again, join us at 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Before we uh, move away from COVID, you know, Governor, you um, have to travel a lot around the state and you're um, uh, dealing with a lot of different people and press conferences. Sometimes you're indoors uh, without a mask. Do you ever worry when you hear about the breakthrough cases, even though you are vaxxed and probably boosted? Yeah, I do worry. Um, you know, generally speaking, these days uh, I'm wearing the mask um, uh, at those indoor press things. Maybe I take it off when I'm, you know, standing in front of the microphone just to be a little more communicable. But um, uh, I think people are going to err on the side of hesitancy. But there's still some big events. You know, I was at a big restaurant association meeting yesterday. There were probably, you know, a thousand people there. So. There's certainly a sense that people want to get back to normal, and you can, I think, if you're boosted and you're careful. Uh, do you think that if you wore a mask more indoors, that, that would set a, a, an example for people as we head into the winter months, uh, Governor, because we know the way this virus uh, circulates uh, indoors? Uh, I think there's some truth to that, um, Lucy, but I also think that with the booster comes some freedoms. And uh, that's why if you're um, vaccinated, we're not requiring a mask. It's one more reason you want to get vaccinated. One more reason you want your child vaccinated. One more reason you get the booster. And we'll probably be thinking about um, the digital health cards. We're working on that. Josh is right now with our neighboring states so that people will be able to identify um, they're vaccinated and or even boosted. Make it easier for our businesses and our restaurants and our stores. I want to take some calls now. Kathy's calling in from Meriden. Kathy, go ahead. Hi, Governor. How are you? Hey, Kathy. So I work in the school system, and I just wanted to touch quickly about uh, the importance of keeping the schools open. What do you think about that, even with cases rising? I think it's absolutely uh, important. Uh, and look, we were able to open last September. Um, certainly, uh, we're going to be able to stay open uh, uh, this season for sure. Uh, we've got well over 90% of our teachers and paras and everybody that works in the school vaccinated. Uh, more and more of them are getting the booster. You're going to have ages 5 through 18. They're all eligible for the vaccine at this point. You know, the older um, kids of, uh, you know, the vast majority of them have gotten their uh, shot. And the younger kids are catching up fast. Our schools are staying open. It's I'm not going to have a lost year of education. Again, while we're talking with Governor Ned Lamont, you can ask your question of the governor. Uh, before we take more calls, I should mention that last month you confirmed you're going to run for re-election, saying, quote, we're ready to go. Why do you want to be governor for another four years? Uh, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we've got to... Um, you know, we got some of our biggest plans were interrupted by COVID, uh, but we also have some incredible positive momentum in this state. Um, the thousands of families who are moving into the state, the businesses that are starting up. I want to make sure that everybody wants a job, is getting that job, make sure they have the training. So there's opportunity for everybody, nobody left behind. It's particularly important to me in this time, Lucy, that um, our most disadvantaged um, 
folks. Uh, folks in those distressed communities get their opportunity. This is the time to do it. This is the time we need those folks. We need them working. We need those folks with the right job skills going forward. And along the way, I think we're going to be able to make incredible strides on the environment and transportation of broadband, you know, thanks to uh, uh, Congress and the uh, infrastructure monies coming our way. Alex is calling in from West Hartford. Uh, Alex, go ahead with your question uh, quickly. Yes. Uh, good morning, Governor Lamont. Um, I am calling to ask, um, uh, you know, there are some recent polls that show you are the most popular governor in America. Uh, how how would you use this political power of yours to lead Democrats, uh, not only in Connecticut, but encourage other Democrats in the region uh, to really honor a pro-climate, pro-health equity, pro-infrastructure agenda in 2022? Governor? Yeah, good question, Alex. Um, I don't spend much time on polls because they change so fast. I was, um, but that said, you know, I appreciate um, the support we have for um, being aggressive on some really important progressive issues, starting with um, the environment, that's not a progressive issue, that's an American issue. And I think it's, uh, I want Connecticut to continue to like, take the lead there. What we did in terms of minimum wage and paid family and medical leave, Connecticut taking the lead, um, really proud on that. But to your point, Alex, I also talk about it from the point of view um, sometimes as a small business guy. You know, if uh, you want to recruit the very best workforce in the world, you want these type of services. You want paid family and medical leave. It allows that um, that mom to keep working. She doesn't have to decide between going home and quitting her job to take care of a, a parent or a child. So I'd like to think we've got a good balance between how you grow the economy and how you take care of people and families. Since you mentioned the environment and Alex was asking about climate, uh, Ben tweeted, if you care about climate change, Governor, why did you abandon the transportation climate initiative known as TCI? And just to recap, this was a regional collaboration aimed to collaboratively reduce carbon emissions through a cap and invest program. Governor? Well, you maybe remember, Ben, that uh, I worked my heart out last year in the session, a full session to um, get TCI passed, what that means in terms of resilience, what that means in terms of EV charging stations. I couldn't even get it to a vote in the legislature. And that's when gas was at very low prices. So I think this is a tough year to uh, push um, TCI. But the good news is, thanks to the infrastructure bill, you know, we have hundreds of millions of dollars. We're going to have a thousand EV charging stations uh, up and operating over the next few years, making it easier for everybody to move uh, from an internal combustion car to an electronic to electric vehicle. That's where most of our pollution is right now, less on the grid, more on transportation, as the name implied. So we are having our own transportation climate initiative. And I think you're going to see real results over the next uh, few years. You mentioned that gas prices uh, were low uh, and now they've been rising. And so, you know, you're a business guy. You know that gas prices are historically volatile. Uh, at some point, you signaled your support for TCI. Uh, and as you mentioned, the Democratic-led uh, General Assembly also didn't call it up for a vote. But where do we stand now, uh, Governor? How do you get serious about reducing transportation emissions without a program like TCI? Well, again, we're going to have... Um from the infrastructure bill, more money than we had anticipated from TCI going into resilience, going into um, 
electrification of the grid, going into uh, transportation, going into high-speed rail, getting people out of their cars. But uh, to your bigger point, uh, Lucy, everybody in the subcontinent folks say, yippee, see, we got all the federal money. We, we don't need to do anything on our side. And that's just plain false. You know, I have to put up 10, 20, 30%. We have to pay our share of everything from transportation to uh, environment in order to get to the front of the line so we can leverage those federal resources. So I still have to find ways to pay for it. But right now we're in good shape. When you think about uh, the emissions and where pollution uh, disproportionately impacts uh, communities of color uh, near highways, we know every summer air quality alerts, there's high asthma rates for city residents. And so as governor, how will you address that? Well, again, um, I've got to get out off the internal combustion engine over the next uh, 20, 10, 20 years. America does. Obviously, little Connecticut can't do it by themselves. As you point out, living next to a road, um, living next to an exit on I-95, I that's where the um, asthma is the worst. That's where the pollution is worse. And we're sort of a tight state in here. So uh, we live on top of each other. Um, I'll tell you one thing we're doing. We're um, ending the mirror trash to energy plant uh, right there in Hartford, create some particulates, which create asthma and other conditions as well, trying to find you know good alternatives and focus on recycling that are, will help save the oxygen and help save our kids. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, to ask your question of Governor Lamont. Uh, one more on uh, climate and transportation, Governor. Uh, Adam tweeting that the DOT, the Department of Transportation, continues to propose highway widenings, which do not address congestion long-term and further increase transportation emissions. So uh, what he wants to know what you will do to, to stop these highway expansion projects. Yeah, I don't think... Okay, five, 10 years ago, DOT was sitting around talking about adding lanes on I-95 and the such. That's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen for a variety of reasons, including environmental reasons. But um, what we can do, Adam, is um, improve those choke points, add um, the exit ramp, make that a little bit longer. And that's good environmentally. You know why? Because right now cars you know, queue up uh, and they're just burning a lot of uh, gas as they wait to get off of these uh, choke points, these exits. That's one of the priorities I've got in terms of speeding up transportation, which includes uh, reducing, um, you know, the pollution. And if we get more and more um, electric vehicles, what a difference that'll make. You know, under this, um, the, the new infrastructure bill, there's $7,500 credit for buying um, an electric vehicle. That means you can now buy an electric vehicle at the, about the same price as an internal combustion engine. You don't have to pay those damn gas prices. It's a big win if we can get people moving in the right direction. I want to take another call. Uh, ben calling in from Wallingford. Go ahead, Ben. Um, I appreciate uh, what you're saying here, Governor, but um, I have to disagree that Connecticut is leading on the climate. Uh, we have a utility here at Eversource, which is talking about raising prices, and they encourage pollution constantly. And before the last election where you were elected governor, you were in a climate-centered um, forum or debate, whatever you want to call it, and talked about, you know, um, basically forcing them to um, put the lines underground to save trees and other stuff. And I just think there's a lot that we could do that we're not doing, such as the way Boston is making mass transit free in certain parts and uh, using 
the power of the Connecticut government to put renewable energy on its own buildings. And um, so I would say, like, I don't think how we can say we're leading if, you know, the climate emergency is getting worse and we have a utility which is talking about raising prices while they're encouraging the use of gas, which is making climate worse. Governor, did well, you want to respond? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, leading doesn't mean we don't have a long way to go. Uh, when I say leading, first of all, when it comes to our electric grid, we have more carbon-free power than just about um, anybody, and we're continuing to emphasize that. First thing I did, I don't know where you stand on nuclear power, but we get, uh, say, 50% of our um, uh, electric power comes from Millstone. That's uh, carbon-free power. It's locked in at a price for the next uh, 12 plus years. I think that's important. You know, Eversource and um, Avangrid, we're making a big effort in terms of wind power. I can't just flick a switch and turn that on overnight, but it's going to be turning on over the next few years. So we're going to be moving more and more of our um, electric grid over to carbon-free renewable power. I think that's incredibly important and we're going to need it because we move our transportation sector to uh, electrification. We're going to need that additional power. So those are some of the big steps that we're taking to make a difference. Jacob uh, uh, tweeted at us that he lives in Middletown and wants to know, you know what you'll do as governor about the price hikes from Eversource that are coming for January. He says himself and many Connecticut residents believe something has to be done to keep our delivery fees lower. What can you tell him? Yeah, it's, it could be a cold winter and uh, you see the um, <clears throat> shortage of natural gas and, um, and the such around the world which is jacking up prices, including um, here in Connecticut. Again, I, I think the um, Millstone deal was really important. That's at a fixed price, um, and that's saving ratepayers, uh, given natural gas prices today, um, a fair amount of dough. Look, we have uh, United CT, uh, that's making sure everybody disadvantaged, can't have a hard time with their electric bills, having a hard time with their heating bills. We're providing support for them right now hundreds of millions of dollars. So you apply um, to Department of Housing and uh, we'll make sure that we're able to keep you, um, keep the heat on and power going. And then I mentioned some of the long-term things we got to do to hold down prices. By the way, Eversource, um, you know, was fined, um, you know, uh, well over a hundred million dollars for a lack of performance uh, during ICEA a couple of years ago. And you're going to see that reflected in a credit on your bill uh, this month and next month. Again, you're hearing Governor Ned Lamont here on Where We Live. We're going to continue taking your calls after the break, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. 
ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today, my guest is Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont, who's running for re-election. Do you have a question for him? Join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Ed's calling in from Meriden. Ed, go ahead. Oh, doesn't look like Ed's there anymore. So we'll take another call. Uh, John from Torrington. John, what's your question for the governor? That doesn't look like he can hear us either. Governor Lamont, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, I mentioned that uh, you're a businessman. You mentioned it as well. Uh, there have been a lot of questions about uh, your wife's uh, venture capital firm and also that firm's investment into startup companies. Uh, uh, let's talk about that. And, you know, as a businessman, as someone who wants to run for governor again, you know, how do you address those concerns or questions from the public about uh, these business dealings? Yeah, we've talked about that a lot, Um, but you're right. First of all, um, we usually have the politicians running the state. This is the first time in a long time you have somebody with a business background, and my wife is is an active investor. So, Lucy, the first thing I did when, um, you know, took office, sat down with the Board of Ethics, came up with a list of rules to make sure everybody has 100% confidence that everything we're doing is on behalf of the people of the state of Connecticut. You know, they bless this process going forward and uh, said uh, the La Mancha are doing everything right. You know, that said, um, you know, we have one of the uh, largest um, new finance companies in the world who have moved to Connecticut. I think that's a really good thing. And we have uh, one of the largest testing and genetic sequencing companies right here in Connecticut. And thank God they're here, it allowed us to do more testing, allows us to test for um, Omicron as well. And I think that's keeping us safe. You mentioned these companies. So uh, startup company Semaphore, uh, one of four companies that responded to an RFP to help boost testing at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, when you look back, would, could, would you have done anything differently? Could you have been more transparent around the time that Connecticut contracted with Semaphore about your wife's firm's initial investment in that company? I think we we're totally transparent. I mean, the reason you're asking these questions is because we listed every single company where we have an investment. People had an opportunity to look at that and to ask any questions. And as you know, uh, early on, we said uh, anything from Semaphore that uh, benefits Ned and Andy Lamont's going right to a uh, 4CT charity. Uh, Digital Currency Group, that's the other company that uh, you referenced, moving to Stanford, a uh, uh, tech cryptocurrency firm. Uh, again, could you have done more to disclose uh, your wife's VC firm investment, uh, the initial investment in that company at the when you announced that, that they're moving here? Uh, I, I announced it the day I came in the office and put together my list, Lucy. So um, that was totally uh, transparent. And that's really important to me. I got to make sure that uh, the taxpayers and voters of the state of Connecticut uh, believe that we're uh, exercising the highest level of ethical 
because uh, that's so important to people. All the suspicion of the politicians and coming after Trump and all the games out there. You got to know that we're working every day on behalf of the people of Connecticut. You keep mentioning the recusal list, but that's not something maybe the general public, ha- you know, is okay. in front of them. And so when we're, we're having those press conferences and talking about companies moving, is there a way to be more transparent to the public uh, about these uh, these business dealings? And as you mentioned, that the ethics office uh, found that uh, you did nothing wrong and, and your wife did nothing wrong as well. Yeah, they blessed this. They came up with the idea. So they said, list every uh, investment you've got make that public. And that's what we did probably day eight of our administration. Absolutely. Full transparency. Uh, you've talked a lot about wanting to make Connecticut an easier state to do business. So um, moving forward again, walk us through you know, how you separate state business from your wife's business. Well, first of all, um, this is a state that didn't add a new job in 30, 40 years. And uh, we were flat as a pancake. So I think uh, the people of Connecticut said maybe we want to try something different. And um, I think I'm a little different. I'm somebody that started up a business and believe in entrepreneurship. So one of the real emphasis I have had in working with my friend David Lehman over at DECD is doing everything we can to support small business. More small businesses are starting up business today than ever before. We're giving them some of the support they need. We're clearing out the regulatory underbrush, make it easier for them to go. Look, in the old days, we used to give $50 million to you know, a big company to move to Connecticut or expand in Connecticut. And uh, I think that was a loser's game. I want to do everything I can to support small business, help them grow and help them hire and help them prosper here in our state. I'm going to take some calls now. Nathan from Old Saybrook. Nathan, go ahead. Um, It's an honor to speak to the governor. I think he is the best governor in the country. Um, I want to remind the uh, listeners that he was the only governor who made sure that all federal employees were paid during the government shutdown when he came into office. Uh, Governor, let me ask you a question about the millions of dollars that are coming into the state from the federal government because of COVID. I'm not talking about infrastructure money. I'm talking about health care money because of the health crisis. Why can't you or the legislature um, make sure that some of those millions of dollars um, go to increasing salaries, the pay rate, to private nonprofit workers who only make 13 to $16 an hour and whose union president thinks that they should make $20 an hour as a living wage. Yeah, Nathan, um, fair point. I mean, what you got to remember is we've given, um, uh, we, we re-up for our not-for-profits big time over the last uh, couple of years, well over $100 million. A lot of that was designated to go to pay you know, be it the group homes, be it the nursing homes, we wanted to make sure that those essential workers, they showed up every day. They were not telecommuting, they were not Zooming, they were not saying, I don't feel confident going into work. I desperately needed them going into work and they showed up every day. And uh, look, can we always do more? Absolutely. But have we done a lot over the last year and made them a priority? I believe the answer is yes. Uh, we know there have been uh, many job losses in the pandemic. When we look uh, to the future, uh, Governor, thinking about attrition, uh, you know, what does that mean for residents? You know, picking up on uh, Nathan's point, when the need for government services is very high, and do you have enough people uh, in these positions uh, to support them? And what are your, you know, if you're reelected, what does that mean for state government jobs in the future? Well, first of all, Lucy. Um, 
I don't want any state employees retiring. Uh, I'm not laying anybody off. I need all hands on deck. We still have an awful lot of work to do. And I like to think that over the last year and a half, folks who are maybe a little dismissive of state employees now have an amazing appreciation. Now they know what the Department of Public Health does. They know the DOT was working every day outside fixing roads during the pandemic. They know what our state employees were doing for folks with special needs. So um, we are recruiting every day, making sure we have the people power we need to get the job done. And at the same time, you know, we're a technology free zone over there in state government. People were not making the investments in IT. So um, we're making those investments. So I think I can provide a much higher level of quality of service for our customers, the taxpayers and the voters at less cost. And uh, those are my two priorities. Well, when we think about a uh, high quality of service at less cost, so again, you don't want people uh, to be retiring, but in terms of uh, the, the people that are doing the jobs for agencies that are already shorthanded, you know, how will you address that moving forward? Uh, we're out there hiring every day. Um, um, I'm asking the, the unions, please help us recruit people, get them uh, you know, back involved in, um, in nursing, involved in public health, involving in the, hey, look, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, the number of people working at DOT is way down over the last 15 years. And we're going to be invest, investing over a billion dollars a year for the next five years. So, Lucy, that means I need design engineers, architects, those that can put Connecticut to the front of the line. And I don't want to outsource all this to a bunch of consultants. Uh, that costs a fortune. I don't have as much control over it. I want Connecticut doing this. I've got, um, Kelly Valeris is amazing. She runs our um, workforce uh, team. And we are training those people right now, working with labor, working with the DOT to make sure we have the right people with the right skills as soon as we can. Howard's calling in from Glastonbury. Howard, what's your question for Governor Lamont? Uh, hi, my question is uh, relating to the uh, emissions things. And um, it seems to me like one of the biggest things to do is to reduce driving. And so my question is, is why does the state continue to subsidize parking for state employees and, and administrators when all that does is incentivize driving in Hartford? Governor? Yeah, I, um, I guess to the other question, um, I, I am trying to get people back to work. And uh, so I don't want to discourage uh, those that way. But um, more importantly, we're going to be able to take 10, 15, 20 minutes off uh, your commute by rail. Uh, we may provide a free bus service on weekends this year. I'm trying to get people out of the cars in the public transportation. I know what that means, as you say, in terms of emissions and what that means overall to our well-being. I wanted to bring up something that's uh, been in the news recently. At least four Connecticut schools affected by threats of violence this week. Hamden High School has been closed since Friday. Eli Whitney Tech in Hamden, Wilbercross in New Haven, Norwich Free Academy, all on lockdown Monday for separate threats. You've spoken, Governor, about rising, quote, tensions during the pandemic among Connecticut's youth. You've said the, this is pointing to the importance of mental health resources. And so how robust are those today? Yeah, um, I can tell you with the um, hundreds of millions we've got to our schools, uh, you know, last year and this coming year, this year, and next year, um, a lot of that went to social workers. You know, I was surprised a little bit, maybe naive of me, Lucy, you know, I thought the free summer camps were going to get our kids back socializing back in the game, getting back to school in September, being with their friends. 
And I think that was true for, um, you know, the overwhelming majority of these kids. But some brought with them incredible mental health and distress and um, issues with them. And you see that playing out, you know, not just in our classrooms, but you see it played out, you know, all across uh, society. And um, kind of say one thing about these schools closings. Uh, I am so sick of social media right now. You know, there used to be a law that said you can't uh, cry fire in a crowded um, theater. Well, there are a lot of people on social media crying, um, you know, yelling fire. There are a lot of people who are making threats or pretending to make threats or bringing up, you know, uh, potential threats that are just false. And they're scaring the heck out of everybody. And they're forcing schools rightfully to say we have to err on the side of caution. So there's two sides to your answer there. Doing everything I can to make sure our kids are in a good place and going after these people who are falsely ginning up all this uh, anxiety. What's your response if one of the people, uh, you know, causing this anxiety, calling these threats, is a young person? Maybe somebody that has experienced trauma. We don't know why children act out, but we know that we need to address what's going on to get at the root cause. And so, as governor, as a state, how do you help them? Well, I'd like to think I know that we have many more social workers in the classroom at the school able to support these kids. I know what we've done, you know, in terms of other not-for-profits to make sure that um, kids have a place they have outreach to. You know, Lucy, I can tell you that, you know, during the worst of the pandemic and continuing today, you know, you had the 211 hotline. And these, a lot of more kids calling up, kids in incredible um, loneliness and distress and anxiety. And uh, we put together with Lisa Tepper Bates now, um, United Way, they had other young people they could talk to and try and talk it out. Vanessa Durante is over at DCF, Department of Children and Families, reaching out to the families, giving them the support we need. Um, so we're being trying to stay ahead of this, but it is um, it is a real concern. And when people talk about long COVID, we think about you know respiratory issues and such. But I think you're going to find mental health and a lot of this distress is still playing out um, even today. Do you think that uh, will you support a greater infusion of uh, these uh, federal dollars to support providers' capacity to provide essential services like mobile crisis? Um, when we think about school crises, and uh, you know, we've heard that current dollars allocated are not adequate. Well, um, that, there's some maybe some truth to that. I can tell you they've got. Um, you know, so much more than they ever have before. We're working to make sure that money is really appropriately invested. And uh, if we find that the demand is there and they need more support, you're going to get more support. You're hearing Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont here on Where We Live. We'll take your calls after a short break, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or share a question or comment on Facebook or Twitter at Where We Live. where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're talking to Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. You can ask your question to 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Barbara's calling in from Hartford. Barbara, go ahead with your question. 
Hi, Lucy. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you, Governor, for all that you do. I know you, there are a lot of priorities that, that come first, but I'd like to mention that composting is a really good way to keep soil in the state of Connecticut and uh, reduce costs, reduce transportation. With the Myra plant closing soon, instead of burning our garbage, 40% of it can be saved by in-vessel composting units. There are large equipment that can take care of all of our food compost. And I think that would be a wonderful way um, for us to save on many, many fronts, uh, a win-win for so many people. Hey, Barbara, that's um, so true. Um, so much of which we are burning uh, can be composted. And uh, we've got a number of uh, companies here. We're sending them right now. They're working with municipalities, giving um, homeowners incentive to compost. And, uh, and making sure that does not end up in our waste, waste stream. Talk to Katie Dykes. You sound like Katie Dykes. She runs DEP. That's uh, the, our Environmental uh, Commission. And um, uh, she would love to work with you on that if you have other ideas on how we can make this more broadly accepted. We've had Commissioner Dykes on our show a couple times, Governor Lamont, talking about this uh, trash uh, crisis municipalities are facing with costs growing. Uh, Barbara making a good point that composting is part of that. Uh, so when we talk more about some of the solutions uh, um, besides mentioning the commissioner. Uh, well, uh, uh, right now we're giving incentives to um, restaurants and the such to compost more so that um, our companies can take that. Uh, we're looking at um, digesters, they're called, which are uh, pieces of equipment that allow us to turn compost into something more usable. That will be one of the things that tends to replace things like Mira, which are trash to energy plants. Um, and I think we're going to make a bigger play on recycling. We did something on plastics this last time around. Uh, and uh, if, if I can get that out of the waste stream, that's a triple win for Connecticut, especially when it comes to the environment, not congesting our landfills or particulates in the air. Before we ran, run out of time, I, you know, I wanted to mention uh, with the news that State Comptroller Kevin Lembo is resigning at the end of the month because of a serious uh, health condition, uh, you know, quite a legacy in our state governor. You will be naming uh, an interim soon, and then voters will decide on a comptroller in the next election, next November. When should we expect that name? Um, well, first of all, my heart goes out to uh, Kevin Lembo and um, Charles and their family. Uh, this is a really tough, scary healthcare situation. And Kevin has been an amazing leader for this state for many years, um, working closely with Nancy Wyman as healthcare advocate, now as controller. And uh, we've worked together on um, healthcare. We worked together on this transition. Um, I'd like to think that within the next week, we're going to um, name an interim uh, controller who stays out for the rest of what would have been Kevin's term. So there can be a, a fair and free election for the next controller this coming November. When you say a fair and free election and your decision to name an interim, you know, talk through what you're going to be considering, uh, you know, as this, you know, a lot of people may be interested in this position, but the type of person you're looking for in the interim. Um, I want to make sure it's a very smooth transition. The controller's office is incredibly important, you know, keeping an eye on our books and giving people confidence that um, uh, we're, we're doing the right thing with the budget. So uh, not only does he have an amazing staff that stays in place, but somebody who can, uh, you know, maintain the positive momentum that uh, Kevin created at the office of controller. 
I'm referencing a Connecticut Mirror article about, you know, again, the type of person you're looking for in to fill in the interim position. You know, you don't want to, I guess, start it with an unfair advantage, so to speak, of someone who may be interested in this position or another statewide position, Governor? Well, uh, first of all, um, by law, uh, I can't appoint, say, a legislator because they're in the middle of a term and that's not permitted. So I just said, look, a lot of people are very interested in the position. I said, um, it's going to be a, a free election come next November. In the meantime, I'm going to have somebody really qualified, able to fill out the rest of uh, Kevin's term and with the agreement being that they don't run for the job themselves. Thank you for that clarification, Governor Lamont. You can join us, too. Uh, Pam's calling in from New Haven. Pam, what did you want to share? Um, I wanted to ask the governor, Governor, you said that you, you've been providing money for social workers at schools, and that's all well and good, but there is a mental health crisis happening all, all over the country, but here in Connecticut, um, and there's not enough funding coming from DCF to support child guidance clinics and family, and, and family clinics and kids with special needs, people with autism and other mental, mental health issues. And so, so it's great that you're supporting social workers in schools. I hear that, but there's not enough being done. And the people who've worked throughout the pandemic, you know, they, they raises they, the money that DCF gave to agencies across the state is is two percent lower than the than the cost of living increase, and um, you know, in terms of relative to inflation, and it's just not fair. I mean, it, you really have to step up more and make make mental health services available or you're going to have a much bigger crisis. You wonder why people aren't going back to work. It, part of it is about mental health concerns. Well, Pam, yeah. thank you. Um, I, I should get you in contact with Vanessa Durantes, who runs DCF. Um, she can tell you better than I can all that we're doing to support these families, all we're doing to support social workers and all we're doing for the not-for-profits, especially when it comes to the kids. And it reminds me, uh, we're running out of time, you know, the first couple of questions we got were, COVID is getting bad, isn't it time for more mandates and a lockdown? And um, it's worth remembering that um, for every action, there is a reaction. And I really care about keeping our schools open and people being able to socialize and get back to work. I see the stress that's created in terms of mental health, and that's the balance I'm trying to get right. Because you mentioned uh, kids and COVID, you know, I just want to bring up uh, Colleen tweeting at us. Uh, there was a story out of the Connecticut Mirror that kids at Manson are, uh, and young adults in Manson aren't going to school or getting counseling. They're just sitting in their, quote, cells because there's a, a COVID outbreak. Colleen says, if you want to protect them from COVID, send them home. How do you respond to that situation within Manson, Governor? I, I think I got to get a little more information. Um, my understanding is, though, is that we have teachers going to facilities like Manson. We have social workers. So they're not, you know, sitting in a cell or whatever the implication was, or they shouldn't be. Um, you know, and we're trying to find other outlets and better places for um, young people to be, especially if they've had, you know, one or two issues, incidents. I want to make sure that um, they're not a danger to themselves or to others, and we give them the best uh, start in life. A restart in life, I should say. Looking at the upcoming uh, uh, legislative session, juvenile justice on the minds of many, a lot of rhetoric out there. I'm wondering if you think Connecticut has a problem with its juvenile justice system, Lamont. I think the problem is bigger than juvenile justice. We've just spent the last 20 minutes talking about mental health, talking about uh, 
people calling in false threats to schools um, and a lot of um, uh, shooting, a lot of violence, a lot of uh, suicide, a lot of addiction. I mean, it, it's much bigger than juvenile justice. But um, look, that said, I'd say for 90 percent of these kids, they need some love. They need some support. They need um, ways to get back on track. And uh, that's what we're working on. 10% of these uh, young people, though, Lucy, are probably chronic repeat offenders who are um, a danger to the greater community, a danger to themselves. we got to be uh, a lot stricter to them in, ter in terms of detention and the such. If I can just tell you one other thing, um, we have more guns on the street than ever before. And people are using these guns and they're shooting and they're shooting um, at each other or um or sometimes suicide. And um, we got to think about guns in the street. And how long do we allow people to carry guns in the public uh, space? I, um, they don't allow it in Europe. Uh, they just say, um, look, keep it under lock and key at home. Keep it in your car. If you want to go hunting, go hunting. Well, why are people walking around the public square carrying guns? I'd love some uh, discussion about that. Um, getting back to the juvenile justice system and my question, you know, be part of a lot of the, uh, these children who end up having uh, interactions with police, maybe they're arrested for a low-level offense or maybe something more serious, they're getting referred to services or should be within the juvenile justice system, Governor. And so are you uh, confident that those referrals are happening in a timely way to help children and their families? Look, we could do a lot better. Obviously, during COVID, things slowed down terribly. Um, you know, the courts were barely open, but they are revving up. Um, Judge Carroll has assured me that um, every um, juvenile crime will be now be arraigned within, I think it's the next, uh, next day. I think that's important. That means we get them to the right social work, the right type of support, the right mentors, the right job training. So for those 90% of kids uh, that we get them back on track, uh, we got a long way to go, but we're so much better off today than we were six months ago when the pandemic was striking us down. Under a minute to go, Governor, uh, latest batch, uh, you know, again, another billion or so uh, dollars uh, coming in uh, to Connecticut. Are you confident that the state is doing what it needs to to collaborate with municipalities on how this money should be used? I hope so. We're going to be uh, naming... Um, an organization or the structure that uh, makes sure this money goes to work and make sure it goes to work in the most uh, innovative and effective way possible to make a difference in people's lives. Make sure the taxpayers have 100% confidence that the money is being uh, well in invested. And as you point out, work closely with our um, political as well as the municipal to make sure that uh, they have input in terms of what their priorities are. Did I hear you correct that there'll be some kind of oversight uh, group uh, looking up how this money will be used, Governor? Yes. <laughs> we'll have to leave it there. Governor Ned Lamont, uh, uh, it always flies by. Can you please come back soon? <laughs> anytime, in person next time, Lucy. Thanks, everybody. Well, Appreciate your questions. Let's do it. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, today's show produced by Katie Pellico. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>